A week or so ago, the ABC ran a report across all platforms. It was entitled, Loneliness Hurts More Than Our Feelings, and it could be our next public health crisis. In the article, uh, it was in print and on the TV. Did anyone see something of it? Loneliness, an article in the ABC about loneliness. Okay, no one watches the ABC, that's all right. Um, it, said, it said this, despite the hyper-connectedness of our modern world, loneliness and isolation are still with us. And it cites basically a study that was done from 2001 to 2017 uh, in Australia saying that one in six people report feeling lonely in any given year. Also, a staggering 1.5 million Australians have been lonely for a decade or more. Not just lonely in an afternoon, but over a decade, 1.5 million Australians. And this study is projecting that out, what that means for us as a nation and a society. Um, They look at one indicator, and that is health, and uh, what the report indicates is that the mortality rates that loneliness brings is the same or similar to that of uh, obesity or substance abuse or violence. Essentially what the article is saying is loneliness is a big problem in our society, and loneliness is killing people. Why is that? Well, the article doesn't really seek to understand why. Um, The normal um, explanation for the rise of loneliness in our society is the rise of technology. That is, technology means that we're not reliant on one another, we're less dependent on one another than we were, say, 50 or 100 years ago. So we don't have to engage with others. But what isn't understood normally is that we also don't want to engage with others. We have this value uh, within Australia and within Western society where we want to be independent. We want to be the hero of our own story. We want to be autonomous, free and self-directed. We don't want someone else driving our car. Where do we want to drive? Where do we want to be? We want to be in the driver's seat directing our own lives, steering ourselves towards freedom. But the fruit of independence is not freedom. This report is so uh, clearly indicating that often the fruit of independence is loneliness. We're free, free from one another, but that's led to us being desperately lonely. We open up to the book of 1 Peter and Peter is helping Christians see how they relate to one another. The book of 1 Peter is about the Christian's relationship with God, but the section that we're going to really focus in, and we have been looking at a past week or so, helps orientate the Christian to um, one another, to other Christians. We've seen in this book of 1 Peter, as we've worked our way through, um, I think over the last seven weeks, we've seen that Peter is really keen to encourage this uh, group of ancient churches there in what we would know as modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, because the pressure and persecution of the world has come upon them and is going to come upon them. And so what Peter wants to do is he wants to encourage them, he wants to give them hope. He wants to remind them of what God has been doing. In fact, God has been acting in their lives before they were even born, he says. 
He says God the Father chose God the Son to rescue them, to redeem them. And God the Father has not only chosen the Son, but he's given the Holy Spirit to be at work in their lives. The Trinitarian God has been at work in their lives. And this means that they have a hope. They have a certain hope of the future. And last week we saw that... uh, Sorry, what, what does this look like when God acts in people's lives? Well, what it doesn't look like is just a collection of individuals, you know, a collection of Christians, a Christian here and a Christian there. That's not Peter's perspective. When he sees God at work in the world, when he sees God the Father choosing the Son, the Son redeeming his people, the Spirit at work, what he sees is not a collection of individuals, but he sees a house, a spiritual house. We used that analogy of the brick last week. Uh, we use bricks to uh, prop open the gate. They're somewhat isolated. But this is not how Peter sees Christians. He sees them as being built together, moulded, crafted by the divine mason, knitted together in this new spiritual house. There was once a temple on Mount Zion that represented God to the people. There's a place for which people went to access God, access God, but now that temple has been replaced in the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. This cornerstone of a new temple has been built upon Jesus' death and upon his resurrec- resurrection. And remarkably, we too are built into him as this new spiritual temple. And so when someone becomes a Christian, Peter says there in verse 9 of chapter 2, they go from darkness to light. But at the same time, we're going to see this afternoon that God sends us as he chooses us, as he saves us. He doesn't save us for ourselves so we can have nice little cosy lives But he saves us for the sake of others, for the sake of his church, and also for the sake of the world. That's that's what we're going to see, I hope, this afternoon. Last week we saw that um, God was at work in building his church and he had established in his first and most significant movement this cornerstone, this stone for which the whole building gains its alignment from. But this stone was a stone that was rejected by men. And so if we have come to trust in the Lord Jesus, there is a sense in which the world has rejected us. We follow the Lord Jesus, one who himself the world rejected. But have a look at verse 9. The world might not understand what we trust in and who we trust in, But Peter wants to know that God does because, verse 9, he has chosen us. He says there in verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Peter chooses to use the language of the nation of Israel. In that first reading that Jim read for us, Moses is, God is speaking through Moses to speak to the nation of Israel. And within Israel there are priests and 
the nation of Israel was a special or holy nation. It was out of all the nations God's treasured possession belonging to him. But remarkably what Peter is doing is he's taking that language that referred to Israel and now because of Jesus he's saying this language now refers to the church, to Christian people to the gathering of Christian people. Because Peter is writing in in his original context to people who were both Greek and Roman, possibly African, definitely those who are Jewish, definitely those who are not Jewish. And you can see this um, in other books, say in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, in the church of Antioch, there there were many different types of people, people groups, ethnicity, uh, cultural background. And yet what Peter does as he looks at all these different people with different backgrounds, he says that they, as they collect, perhaps in a size of group about this size, who we don't quite know, but it could have been a group of people like this. And it could have been a group of people with vastly distinct and different backgrounds, he says, you are now a new nation, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Um, The the concept of a nation, uh, we often associate with a country, um, but the notion of a nation state is somewhat of a um, construct the last 200, 300 years, because, you know, when we say nation and the nation of Australia... There's such diversity in our nation, but when the, uh, when, the, when the Apostle Peter here is speaking of the nation here that the church is, he's speaking of a common tie, a bond that these people have. Normally, uh, we have cultural ties, our language, our bloodline to define how we relate in a culture. Um, people identify in cultures. Um, my mum is Greek. Well, it depends actually where she is. If you were to see her um, uh, here, she'd be very Aussie. But within a different group of people, she's very Greek. She goes from polite and she's got manners. And then when she's with the Greeks, she's kind of loud and obnoxious and dances. and very embarrassing for me as a child. We identify with people groups. They shape our behaviour. Here Peter says that this collection of Christians, no matter what their background, African, Jewish, Gentile, you are a new nation. You are a new people. And this is radical stuff. This is radical for those in a very cultural world of the first century where your race, your language... Your heritage was something very significant. That for some Australians isn't that significant. For others it is. But here he says, if you've come to the Lord Jesus, if you've trusted in him, if you know that he has died for you, you've been brought together to fit within this new society, this new group of people. And this is radical in the first century. Because people didn't change religions. They didn't change cultures. In fact, you couldn't. You couldn't decide simply to change cultures, 
to move to a different place in the same way that you can in the modern world. So it was radical for them. But it's radical for us because I think we, in our Western world, where there's so many choices for us, we think of being Christian as just another choice. Um, I grew up and doing a lot, well, not, a fair bit of sailing, and I was a member of a number of clubs um, in the last 10 years or so. I haven't been a member of a club, or I had for one year, but I never went. And the great thing about sailing clubs is everyone pretty well gets on. You know why they get on? Because everyone loves sailing. And this is the case for different clubs. I know some of us are involved in different clubs, a knitting club. Um, what other clubs are you involved in? Any other clubs? We've got a knitting Swimming club. Yeah, and you, and you get on with those people, don't you, Sue? Because why? They love swimming. Any other clubs? Ski club? Yeah? Any other clubs? What's that? Okay, sorry. Oh, flower club. Right. Yeah, flower club. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. A golf club up the back there, Jonathan. Yeah? And, and Mandy's nodding because he gets on with all the golf club. Why? Because they've got something in common. They've got something in common. And that's like being a Christian, isn't it? You know? We've got Jesus in common, we've got church in common. And so being Christians are a little like joining a club. But Jesus is the thing that we have in common, so we get all get on. This is not how Peter thinks about what it is to be part of a church. Because there's a difference between joining a club and there's a difference between joining a culture. Because a culture is a comprehensive way of doing everything. A culture tells you about who you are. A culture tells you about what kind of business practice is best. A culture tells you about what food to eat. A culture tells you about what role a female and a male has. A culture tells you about how marriage works. A culture tells you about everything. Being a Christian is not simply joining a club for which Jesus is the thing that we have in common. It's being part of a new culture. It's letting the reality of who Jesus is shape everything about us. And so Peter won't let us get away with thinking that we're just part of a club. And this is our volunteer time on a Sunday so we can feel like we can feel better about ourselves. He won't let us think that we're just, you know, now that we know Jesus, we've got this inner peace and then we can go about our normal life just with a little more Christian inspiration. That's not what it is to become a Christian. It's changing your culture. It's to realise that when you come to the Lord Jesus, he shapes and reorders and transforms everything about you. He places you within a new people. He gives you a new identity. In Denmark, 150 years ago, your baptism certificate served as your national identity papers. That's pretty handy, isn't it? Um, so when you got baptised, you got the papers necessary, you know, to identify yourself within the, within the nation. Why? Well, to be Danish is to be Christian 150 years ago. And to be Christian living in Denmark is uh, to be Danish. Everyone was. 
But to be a Christian is not to have a political tie. To be Danish was to be Christian. And so it had this political and national sense. But that's not what Peter's talking about here. He's talking about the identity and the culture that we have within the body of God's people. And that's one of the joys of being part of a church. Remember that God, last week, is the master mason who's building this church. And one of the privileges of being Christian is to realise that there is a treasure to discover in getting to know one another. That the people here, as you look around, are the people who God has assembled here this afternoon. We don't assemble the membership for our church. We don't have someone at the door saying, sorry, you can go down to uh, the Presbyterians. Um, It's God who assembles who we are as a church. And this is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful thing because it's not a political association. It's not defined by our nation. It's defined by our relationship with God. And you know why that's fantastic? That means that anyone can be part of our church. And our culture as Australians isn't what determines what is Christian. Anyone can be part of our church. And we must work towards that. We must work towards welcoming people who aren't um, like us. Because being Christian isn't about being Australian. Being Christian is about trusting the Lord Jesus. And anyone from any culture can do that. You are a chosen people. You're a holy nation. And you belong to God. But you're also there in verse 9, a royal priesthood. And there's three quick things I want to say about that. It's a bit odd, isn't it? Um, to think of uh, Christian people as priests there. Often historically, say within the medieval church, the priest was the guy simply at the front. But here, Peter is using the language of priest not to describe, um, say, a person simply in my role, but he's using the language to describe every single person that God has assembled within the church. Why? Well, it's got to do with access. It's got to do with access to God. And this is, again, this is not dissimilar to the point I made previously. Our access to God is not on the basis of what university qualification and what training we might have done. Our basis, the basis for the access that we have to God is not because we are a special type of person chosen to be a special religious with a religious type of role. Now, if Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church and we're trusting in him, then everyone who trusts in him is a priest. Everyone has access to God because that's what the priests did. They went into the temple on behalf of the people. They went as close to God as was possible. And Peter is saying here, if you trust in Jesus... You're a priest because you couldn't get closer to God. In fact, you're being built with God's Son, the Lord Jesus, into this temple, into this place of access. And it's a royal priesthood. It's one for which we serve the King, the Lord Jesus. And it's one for which we serve for the King. And this is important because it reminds us as well that the privilege that we have as a church, 
Sometimes we get into um, the thinking whereby we think of church as merely a pit stop for our spiritual lives, that it's an aid to sustain us in being Christian, and it is. That is true. But it is not only that. It is not merely a means to an end. The church is the end. The writer of the Hebrews wonderfully and beautifully gives his vision of heaven and he says, in fact, even crazily, the Christians now are assembled in heaven around Mount Zion and around the Lord Jesus. You see, the reality for which is before us eternally is one like this. It's one gathering with God's people around his word. His word is here as it's spoken as it's read, but the word will be at the centre of heaven and our worship will be of him. What we do here reminds us and prepares us for what we will be doing eternally. And so we, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, we are members of God's church. This membership is not our choice, but it's God's choice. We're a congregation of his people, not a segregation And it means that we are part of this new society. Not a new social elite, but a new society for which anyone trusting the Lord Jesus, no matter what their background, no matter what their education, no matter what they've done, can be a member of this community, of this people that God is building. And that's a privilege. That's a wonderful privilege. Sometimes it's hard being in church. Um... But it's a wonderful privilege that we must remind ourselves on, of. It's a wonderful privilege. One of the things um, that's really helpful is to be reminded that if we are now this temple, there is no holy place for which God dwells. But in one sense, that's not true. There is a holy place. It's a collection of his people, not this building, but it's a collection of his people, the holy ground, the sacred space, if you like, the place for which you would take your shoes off in reverence and respect. is not this section. It's not this building. It's one another. And so that sacredness needs to be in our minds as we relate to one another, that we need to see one another with... Well, we need to see one another indeed in the way that God sees us as his treasured and special people. But secondly, you see in the outline there, the church has a task. We have a privilege, but we have a task. Um, we saw last week that we are now living stones. We're not, this church is not made out of dead stones, but of living stones. And living stones speak there in verse 9, the second bit. It says that, we have been gathered so that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. What is that? What is it to declare the praise of him who has called us out of darkness? Well, it's to declare God's praise. And it's to declare God's praise for what he's done in salvation, how he's rescued us from our sin, how we've been condemned by what we've done and what we've said. It's offensive to God, but Jesus has died for us. He's taken that darkness and he's given us a light to live in and this is what we proclaim, Peter is saying. We declare, we proclaim 
and we declare those praises. What is that? Well, it's kind of singing. We declare praises of God when we sing, but it's not just that. It's, um, is it simply evangelism as we speak about Jesus to others who don't know him? Yes, but it's not just that. It's, well, I, I think it's the reality of knowing who we are, this privilege that we have in the Lord Jesus, this privilege that we have in church. This is a reality that we know in our hearts. And when something is in our heart, what happens? It comes out of our mouth, Jesus says in, uh, in Luke chapter, no, Mark chapter 7. So declaring his praises is just what's in our heart coming out of our mouth. And that can be here in church. I remember when I was a kid, there was this uh, guy who was a bit older. I was maybe a young teenager and uh, he was maybe 18, 19. And I was in front of him at church and he was really belting a song out. And I thought to myself, he must really believe that. Uh, and I hadn't kind of considered him in those terms, but as I heard him sing, I thought to myself, he must really believe that. And that was a wonderfully encouraging moment for me. And so to hear one another sing, to speak to one another as we gather for you know, supper, as we uh, spend some time before and during church here on a Sunday, as we get to know one another throughout the week, it's an opportunity to declare the praise to one another, but it's also an opportunity to declare the praise to those who don't know him, to witness with our lips. Because this responsibility was once for one race, the nation of Israel, but because of the Lord Jesus, we've now been collected and joined together as one people to declare this news to all people. And we've got great opportunities to do that. Um, as a church, we've, um, we've got uh, the opportunities that we provide in formal sense, um, something like a Christian Explored course, um, the Cape Brax event, those kinds of things, but just in general conversation, as we speak to people about what's on our hearts. We've got to pray that God would be on our hearts so what comes out of our mouth is a praise of him who has called us out of darkness. Lastly, as we finish things off, Peter wants to remind these Christians that they might have this privilege of being joined with one another, that they fit in this new nation, that they have this access to God, but it's not for themselves. That they have a task in the world, that there's a theatre for the proclamation of who God is in the Lord Jesus. And this is where Peter starts to help these Christians understand what they ought to do. Because he says there in verse 11, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, Peter is reminding them of who they are, that Christians are living in tents, as it were, and not in a palace, that the Christian life is setting our heart on our true home, not on the things of this world. Peter is using the language and the ideas of when the nation of Israel was carried out of Israel and into Babylon in the exile. Daniel says that he kept the window open to Jerusalem because he knew that although he was in Babylon and although he was in the king's palace, he wasn't at home. And so too for us. We here as Christian people are aliens and strangers. Our home is in heaven. And that home is one that's secured. We saw that in the first chapter. 
And so when you have a secure future, when you have a secure inheritance, then you can live your life with a little bit of risk. We are so risk adverse. Have you noticed this? Especially if you've got children. Um, every, everything's so designed around safety and risk. Why is that? Well, because people are so uncertain about the future. But if your future has been guaranteed by the blood of the Lord Jesus, if it's been demonstrated in the raising of the Lord Jesus from death to life, if that's the basis and guarantee of your future, do you know what that means? It means you can live your life with a little bit of risk now. It means you can sit easy to this world, knowing that you don't quite fit in. In fact, knowing that you will never fit in. And the Christian life can be a struggle. And in fact, Peter wants to remind these readers that they are at war, that there's a war that they're uh, battling. It's there in verse 11 that they're to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, that they are pushing against it, that this alien land still has a foothold in them. Here Peter is reminding them that although these Christians are far from home, They are not far from him. And here it's a reminder for us as Christians that we we have desires. And just because we feel something doesn't mean it's right. In fact, we're battling so much of what we feel and what we're inclined to do. We're battling these passions of the flesh, the lust of the mind, body and heart, lusts like pride and greed and bitterness and envy. These things come so easily. These things are so natural. Pride and greed, jealousy, envy. And this is what we're battling against. We might be strangers, but we're not travellers. Peter tells us that we're to live the kind of life amongst our world that is different. And in fact, it'll be different such that people will accuse us of doing wrong. But in doing that, Peter says that He hopes and I think he prays and I hope and I pray that he might see, that they might see our good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. You see, we're not home. Our Lord Jesus was rejected in this world and as we speak about him, we too will be rejected. We're not trying to fit in. We know where our home is and that's that's a secure reality for us. And so as we engage with people for a variety of beliefs, as we speak about the Lord Jesus, we pray that God might be be at work in us, that they might see our good deeds, that God would give us those opportunities to live lives that are different, to live lives for his glory, to live lives so that many might come to know him. Amen. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us those opportunities to live lives amongst the people who believe very different things. Father, we ask that you give us opportunities to live amongst people who might be lonely, that you might give us the opportunity to love them, to care for them. Um, And in doing this, Father, we hope that they might see something of your work in us, and might come to glorify you on the last day when Jesus returns. We pray it in his name. Amen.